It's good to be here preaching to you again from God's word. Pray with me, please. Dear God in heaven, again, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. It's because of your love that all of this has come about that you sent your son to die for us, that we can be reconciled to you. That's why we're here, to acknowledge that, to raise you up and to lift you up and make your name great as best we can. But Lord, we're here to learn from you as well. So please, um, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, and may the people be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The, okay. My big Bible and um, all my notes and so on don't fit on this thing very well. I'm supposed to read to you, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth and you're to respond Great. So I'm going to be preaching from Romans 3:27 through 4:25, justification from faith. Not really. You're not going to get a Roman sermon today. So. Um, I was texted by Carter yesterday, I'm not sure, I think it was still morning, and said he was feeling kind of poorly, and is there a sermon that I could um, bring out and share with you today? And I said, well, let me check it out. Let me see what God might give. And so, um, this is what you're going to get. Do you have the text, my text, up there? Oh, you don't. Okay. Well, it's okay. So you're not going to read it up there. But if you have your Bibles, do we have two Bibles? And you have your phones and your iPads and all those other magic things that might, uh, from, uh, what is it, Bible Gateway or Olive Tree or whatever you're using uh, on your you're on your iPhone to have Bible access. Anyway, we are going to learn from 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. And so you're going to get to stand at the reading of God's word to honor his word. But first, find it in your Bibles, because I'm going to read it to you out loud, but I'd like for you to read along with me. Now, I'm going to read it out of NIV. So if you have, I know the Pew Bibles are ESV. There's not that much difference. So, and we'll talk about a little bit about the difference in words. But, so, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. Everybody got that? Please stand. Now, i got to start with, uh, in your ESV or your NASB, 
This is going to be the middle of a sentence. If you have NIV, it's the beginning of a sentence. So don't get confused. We're going to get there, okay? My NIV says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. This is God's word. Now you can sit down. This is not going to work. I'm going to see. Maybe I can do this. Okay, great. That will work. So, what am I doing? Huh? What do you call that? Wringing your hand. Well, in COVID, would be would be using uh, sterilizer, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it could have a double meaning today, right? Uh, but if you see somebody doing this, I mean that's theatrical. I mean that's in the movies and plays. But you know what that means, right? It means you're worried, uncertain. You're afraid of something. You're not at ease. You're not at peace. Um, Things are not the way you want them to be, right? You may be uneasy about something. Well, this particular passage talks about something else that you do with your hands, and that is work. God has given us hands to work. And he's given us opposing thumbs so that we can accomplish all of these amazing things that we've accomplished and that animals can't accomplish, right? And minds, of course, to be able to do that. We're going to learn today about work, specifically working with your hands, but what in context that means for the people of Thessalonica, the believers in Thessalonica that Paul is writing to. So I'm going to back up. I'm going to take a step back. You say, why in the world am I looking at that little piece of, are we looking at that little piece, uh, two, only two verses today? Well, that's what we're going to focus on. But I want you to see the context of it. The context of it is, if you step back, Paul is saying at the beginning of chapter 4, he's giving them instructions on how to live. And the reason he's doing that is often, if you know, if you're familiar with Paul's letters, he often gives the prescription or the uh, teaching, the doctrine, in the beginning of his letters. And at the end, or the last half, let's say, he gives the application, the practical part of it. Therefore, a lot of therefores in there, right in the middle of his letters. Now that you know this, therefore... This is how you are to behave or act or what you're supposed to do. Well, that's what he does in chapter 4. And we're going to read that in just a minute. And you don't have to stand up for that. But in the context of, the, of chapter 4, from 4 through 12, you need to see the context of that as well. Now, I preached a sermon here. I, uh, I'm, I don't expect any of you to remember it. But I've preached out of Thessalonians several times, not here in this church, 
but a series of messages, a series of sermons. And I preached at one time about the beginning of 1 Thessalonians, how Paul is so concerned. If you know that if in Acts, you know the situation. He was run out of Thessalonica. He, was, he couldn't go back. Um, he sent Timothy back to find out how the people were because he was so worried about them. If you remember a sermon I preached that says, when it's okay to be afraid, Paul was afraid. He was afraid that they had lost or somehow Satan had led them away from their faith. That somehow they had not fallen away exactly, but had uh, left the straight way, the, uh, the way that he had led them to at that time that he was with them, for the time that he was with them. And so he heard a good report, that's in chapter 3, from Timothy about their faith, that it was growing, that everything was great. They were just, they were still under great persecution, great suffering and so on, but they had held on. They had survived. They had gone through it and they had been strengthened in the faith. And Paul was so happy about that. He was telling them, I hear about all your faith, the great faith that you have. I am so pleased because you know how we were among you. We shared not only the gospel through the, the scriptures, but we shared with you our lives as well. You saw how we worked among you. You saw how we lived among you. And you got it. You heard that. You understand it. You believed it. You learned from it. And you became models of what we were modeling to you. And because of that, people throughout the whole region, not just the Thessalonica, but many people are coming to faith. Because of your witness. They're, they're coming to faith because of you, what you're doing, what you're doing. And so he leads up to that point, up to this point, and he says, Now do it even more. But because of that, now the context of that, so he's leading up to chapter four. The thing that follows immediately after that is chapter 13, I mean, verse 13, pretty much through the letter. And a lot of people think that Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, is all about prophecy, the end times. You know, if you want to know something about the end times, you go, oh, well, we had Daniel and uh, yeah, Matthew 24 and Revelation. And don't forget Thessalonians, right? 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, because Paul is giving his own prophecies about the coming of the Lord. The details of that, they, people have fought over that and have debated it and studied it and so on. And, you know, it's just, <sighs> the point of this, if you see the context, is he's trying to encourage them. He's giving them hope. He's saying the Lord is coming back. You have to know that. He's coming back like a thief in the night. You don't have to worry about it. Don't be surprised like the rest of them. You should be ready. You should be prepared because he is coming back. Regardless of what you're going through right now, regardless of the persecution, because of all, regardless of all the suffering, you've got to have hope. You've got to know that Jesus is coming back. And so he devotes pretty much the rest of 1 Thessalonians to that and much of 2 Thessalonians to this... Um, encouragement, this reassurance 
that they have something to look forward to beyond what they're experiencing right now. That's the context of this passage today. The first part of it, I'll read. There are three kind of three parts to it. He says, therefore, pretty much, finally, I'm going to read it to you. You can read it with me. I hope you kept, kept your finger in the Bible there, uh, on your pad or whatever it is. Chapter 4, verses 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now, this isn't written instructions. This is instructions that they gave them, they taught them while they were with them. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. By the way, remember when I had talked about the bookends? This is kind of a bookend here. Do this more and more. In our, chat, in our verse today, it says, just before the verse, yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. That's just leading in to verse 11. So he wants them to, yes, they're doing great, but you've got to keep after it and you've got to increase and grow in your faith and do it even more. Verse 2, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. First, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Paragraph 2. Well, paragraph 2 as far as his points. Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you brothers to do so more and more. And my NIV makes another paragraph there, a paragraph break for the third point of how we should live. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And you say, well, that seems like a minor point compared to the others. Well, we can learn from it. It's God's word, right? It wasn't minor to me whenever God gave it to me. So let's see what we can learn from it. First, it says, make it your ambition. Does that sound like a minor point? Make it your ambition. Aspire, ESV says. Aspire to this. What should you aspire to? Live a quiet life. Mind your own business and work with your hands. What does it mean to live a quiet life? That doesn't seem right. I mean, we're supposed to be out there going and blowing, preaching and making a lot of noise and stirring things up, right? No. Not for the Thessalonians, not for the believers. There's a value 
in living a quiet life. There's a need to live a quiet life. We're not supposed to be frantic. We're not supposed to be rushing around. We're not supposed to be chicken littles being scared by everything. So all of the connotations of that, trying to calm the the people of Thessalonia, the, the believers, live a quiet life. Be at peace. Go about your business. The second point there is mind your own business. Wow, what could that mean? <laughs> you have an idea what that might mean? Hmm, how many of us mind other people's business? Yeah, we're going to get to that. Um, Paul talks about in, in uh, uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, in 1 Timothy and in 2 Thessalonians about being busybodies, being idle and being busybodies. Yeah, we're supposed to mind our own business, not the business of other people. We're not supposed to be meddling in other people's affairs. We're not supposed to neglect our own duties and responsibilities in order to exercise control over other people. It's a big temptation, though, isn't it? I know what's best for you. Never mind what's best for me. Remember the plank and the, you know, the speck and that sort of thing? I can help you. I know exactly what's wrong with you. <laughs> I know how to help you, right? That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, live a quiet life. Be at peace with yourself and people around you. Don't be stirring up trouble. Don't be trying to cause things to happen that especially is not God's will, that God didn't, didn't lead you to. I'm not saying we shouldn't be about his business. No question about that. And when he leads you to do something great or do go off someplace or whatever, you can do that quietly. Remember, we're Presbyterians, right? <laughs> and in order, right? Don't meddle in the affairs of others. That's what it says. Stay focused, therefore. Stay focused on what God has called you to do, the, the duties and responsibilities that God has given you to do, me to do. Pat doesn't like me pointing my fingers, so I'll point my fingers at myself. Um, stay focused on what needs to be done and what God has given us to do. There's enough in that. We don't need to be worried about everybody else, do we? You can, in the sense of praying for them and helping them, and that's real help. But we are about, we are to do, be about our own business. Taking care of our business, right? That's what he says right here to the Thessalonians. Mind your own business and work with your hand. Now, what in the world is that? Well, first and foremost, it's, it's okay to be a tradesman. It's okay to make your living with your hands. You don't have to make your hand, well... Who's, what tradesman puts his brain in a, in, a, in a closet anyway or in a locker? I mean, you have to use your hands and your brain and all that God has given you to do the work that he's given to you. But what he's saying here is be about work. Work with your hands. 
Now, manual labor is honorable. There's nothing wrong with that. No, not everybody needs to go to college. Not everybody needs to get a student loan. Okay, I'm not going there. Um, It'll just be forgiven. It's, anyway. no. <laughs> it's okay to find work that pays for your, your living, your wife, your kids, that supports your family. There's nothing wrong with that. It's honorable. It's honorable. All work, as long as it's legal and ethical and moral, it's honorable, isn't it? We should be about that. Manual labor meets many people's needs, not just our own, people around us, our families, our relatives, and that sort of thing. Of course, he's not talking specifically or only about manual labor. The point is work, whatever that might be. But be about working. Now, if you, if you question that, you need to read the rest of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians and some of the other letters that Paul's talking about. Because he really has a problem with people who are idle. He said, don't be idle. In fact, if you read... If you read 1 Thessalonians 5.14, just jump over just a second. Look at this. It says, uh, well, in the context it says, Now we ask you, brothers, verse 12, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you. Paul prefaced Thessalonians, or in the first two chapters, he said, You know how we worked among you, so that we wouldn't be a burden to anyone, so we wouldn't be dependent on anyone. And here he says, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. <clears throat> Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong and so on. All of these are good instructions on how to live, how to walk with the Lord. Now in ESV, in the beginning of chapter 4, it's talking about your walk. How you should walk with the Lord. That's what this is all about. Part of the walk with the Lord is to work. Be about working to provide for yourself and others and meet the needs of those people around you. So... We are to be doing that. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6-12, that's the part of the, the busybodies. Uh, I'd like to read that to you. Um, 2 Thessalonians 5, uh, 3, I'm sorry. 2 Thessalonians 3. Well, let me go ahead and read 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle, and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you, you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model to you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. 
We hear, verse 11, we hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread that they eat. As for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. And 1 Timothy 5 is talking about young widows need to find work because they are tempted to be busybodies if they don't find something to do. That's what this is all about. As part of your walk with the Lord, a major part of that walk is working. Is your work, and it's honorable, and it is pleasing to the Lord. It's acceptable to God, and it is good. It produces good. In the latter part of this, where it says, so that, verse 12, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. It produces good. Not just for you and your wife and your kids. I'm sorry, your spouse and your kids. I don't want to get into women working or not. That's not what this is about today. Um, outside the home and so on. Uh, that's something between you and God. The point is that it's not just for you. It is a, an example to people around you. If you are idle, what kind of witness is that? My father only knew one, one four-letter word. Or he only used one four-letter word. Started with an L. Lazy. That's the worst thing he could say about you. The worst, the worst thing I ever heard him say about somebody. He's lazy. Wow. If, God, if, if, my, if my father said that about you, hmm, he just about condemned you to hell there. <laughs> Uh, he couldn't put up with lazy people. He had no place for them, no use for them. But the point is that in, in the modeling of Paul and his companions in working and not being a burden to those around him, they modeled that for the Thessalonian believers and say, follow my example. Work and show those people out there that, you're, that you are a good citizen, that you are a good father, your husband, a good wife, a good mother. Show them by your example of how you live, how you walk with the Lord. And it says, here in NIV it says, may win the respect of outsiders, may win the respect of outsiders. In 1 Peter 2.12, 2, Peter says pretty much the same thing. Uh, some of you may have memorized Matthew 5:17. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good. What is it? Good works, and they may uh, glorify your Father and uh, God in, in heaven. But First Peter specifically talks about if I can just find Peter here. First Peter 2:12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So what you do, how you behave, what you do in front of people matters. It counts. It is a witness to others. Idleness is not a good witness. Work, diligence, not just with your hands, but working and being a good provider, 
as we discussed in uh, TWC about a uh, man's role is to be a provider, right? Um, if we're a good provider, that's a good witness and it brings people to question what are these people all about? And it says, so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Also, it shows, how do you think about Paul and his companions? They go to Thessalonica, and because of these believers, new faith, they immediately come under persecution and a lot of hardship and suffering. One more thing that they don't need at that point is to have to support these visitors from Jerusalem. And so I think out of compassion or love or concern for the people in Thessalonica, not just to model a good thing, but if I don't want to be a burden to you, I will do my part. I'll do the best that I can to not to be a burden to the people around me. And that's what Paul did and his companions. That was the witness that he gave to them. And he called on them to have the same kind of witness to people around them. So what can we learn from this? First, we certainly need to pray. That's the beginning of all things when we're trying to apply God's word and his scriptures to our life. How can I employ this? How can I put this to practical use? First, I need to talk to God. We are all in constant need of help. We cannot do anything without him. Now, if you start taking credit for the, the, the fruit of your labor, you've already got a problem because God gave you that fruit. It all comes from him. So if you want to be a good provider, if you want to give, be a good worker, a good producer, it seems to me that it begins with prayer. We need God's help. I have an experience recently. I think it's a good practice to ask and then when you receive to thank God. It's a constant thing in my life. Uh, about the only thing I think that I am good at um, that I would, I guess, not brag on or boast on, but I do realize my dependence upon God. And so when I am doing things with my hands or whatever, I often ask God, Lord, help me. Because things don't always work the way they're supposed to. If you do things with your hands, you realize things happen. And I call it, you know, it took me a long time to figure this out. But did you know this earth is cursed? <laughs> did you know that? Well, it finally took, I finally got through my head. You know, because that thing that just fell in the hole, right, happened because of the curse. It doesn't. You know, Jeremy's trying to grow three gardens, you know, and uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't mention people's names. I didn't even ask him if I could mention his name. Um, but, you know, Jeremy said, well, it's a learning process. But man, he's after it, isn't he? I mean, he's trying to, he's growing a garden at the school and he's growing a garden over here in the corner. Uh, Mary, he might need some help with that. Uh, <laughs> uh, of this property here and in his backyard or wherever, you know. 
Um, he hasn't had tremendous success. I mean, he's had success, but he thinks he hasn't had as much success as he would like. And so um, he's learning, right? Well, whenever Adam and Eve sinned, guess what started growing? Thistles and weeds. And it was hard soil, and you had to beat that soil to get anything out of it. Resistance. The earth is going to resist you in every way. Get ready for it. You have to know it's there. Now, Jesus has, has futuristically removed the curse, right? But it's still here. It's kind of an already not yet kind of thing. We're still dealing with the curse. So, I get resistance all the time. And it just, you know, I say, Lord, when is everything going to work right? Right? And God says, if everything worked right, would you come to me? Would you need me? Say, oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. So, I'm not saying he's cursed me. You know, I'm not saying that it's his, but he uses it, right? And so, I, it's my practice. I say, Lord, please help me. Um, well, one thing happened uh, sometime back. It's been a few months now. I was working on something, and I, it wasn't working, it wasn't coming out the way, and so I, I asked God, and man, I was hit like a tum and a brick. And I said, oh, I have some unconfessed sin. <laughs> now, you could say that Satan, you know, the accuser, you could say my conscience, you could say the Holy Spirit, whatever, it doesn't matter. I all of a sudden realized I, had, I, I know I have no right to come to him anyway, but except by the blood of Jesus Christ. But at that point, it hit me. I said, oh, sorry, Lord. Let me take care of this. <laughs> and so I confessed that. I repented of it. And I said, by the way, can you still help me with that? <laughs> uh, and he did. I, it's just amazing. Don't ask God for something when he gives it to you without thanking him for it. That's the very next step. When it happens, thank him for it. Right? He wants you to come to him with your needs and he wants you to praise him for it and thank him for it. That's the relationship. The walk with the Lord. That's what this is all about. Now, Paul says, walk with the Lord doing these things. Be sanctified. You know, love each other. Work with your hair. Live this kind of life. And I will be there with you. And I will do it for you. I'll be there with you. So, um, you say, uh, well, what, what is it I'm supposed to be doing? Oswald Chambers, in one of his books, says, do the next thing. Do whatever God gives you. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, whatever God gives you, do it with all your might. Paul wrote in Colossians 3, whatever you find to do, do it all unto the Lord, not for yourself, right? Do it with all your heart uh, as unto the Lord and not for yourself. So it definitely has to be according to his will, not our will. We don't want to be kicking against the goads. You know what a goad is? It's a sharp stick. Or if you read in Ecclesiastes, it mentions a nail. 
It could be a stick with a nail at the end of it. And so if you poke uh, an animal with it, it makes them go. Or it makes them go in the direction you want them to go, right? Often, though, is a reflex action. I don't know if you spend any time with animals, but I've had been on the bad end of that. Um, when you poke, by the way, there's, you, know, you ever heard about a sh hot shot? It was a far predecessor of the taser, but it didn't knock the animal out by any means. It just goaded them to move. And it was a little two-pronged thing with an electrical shock. And they reacted to that. Oftentimes, they reacted it to it by kicking. So if you're behind them, be ready, because they're going to kick when you goad them, right? The problem is that if they kick against the goad, what happens? They drive that nail right into their leg. So when Paul said, when Jesus said that on the road to Damascus to Paul, he says, why are you, why are you persecuting me? It's hard to kick against the goads. Paul, you're not with me. You, don't, you, you think you're serving God, but you're not. You're going against God. You're kicking against the goads. Don't do that. Get with me. Do my will. Work according to my will, not your own. Find out what God's will is, and then do it, and do it with all of your heart. Don't kick against the goads. This will lead to a deeper faith and a walk with God. We must be diligent. It has to be our ambition. It has to be something we aspire to. We have to make it a priority to work in our lives, to do these things that God gives us to do. Focus on our affairs, not on the affairs of other people trying to uh, control them. And we should always be aware of the eyes of people around us. We are a witness wherever we go. You have to know that. People are watching you. Are you being a good worker for the Lord in everything that you do? That's the question. We have to trust God because he directs us. He, he is the power that makes our increase for us. God never fails even though we do. He confirms it in so many ways in your life as you walk with him. He does. He's faithful to that. He does not ever fail. If we don't give up. Paul says that so many times. We will reap if we don't give up. We have to be patient. This is about Paul telling these people, there is something coming that you have no idea what's coming. Jesus is coming back. He will take you away from all of this suffering and all of this persecution. But in the meantime, as you are waiting, this is what you're to be doing. This is what you're to be about. Loving each other, uh, avoiding sexual immorality and all of that, and working patiently, diligently, as you wait on the Lord for that day coming, this is what God has called you to do. And he says, Paul says, do it more and more. Keep on and keep on going up in that. Keep increasing. Keep growing in your faith. Keep doing what God has given you to do. 
when I, before I went to Kazakhstan, the verse at the end of John chapter 21, I'm sure I've shared this with you before. That was the verse that got me to Kazakhstan, where Paul, Jesus said to, to, to Peter, do you love me? And he said, feed my sheep. Three times he said, feed my sheep. And I said, okay, I'll do that. Where are they? <laughs> and later on he said, they're way over there in Kazakhstan. I said, okay, I'll feed your sheep, Lord. Um, just get me over there and I'll get started on it. God will give you what you need to do. Pray and ask. He will direct you. He won't use a, he, he, he doesn't need a cattle prod. Um, maybe sometimes, some, some of you need a cattle prod? Huh. Um, the point is that God will provide all of that. But we are to be diligent. We have to make it our ambition to walk with him more and more all the time. And it is all about Christ. Because Christ, he did remove that curse. That someday, whenever we have to, we're trying to grow plants or, or vegetables or whatever, it's going to be gone. We're going to be in the garden where everything grows, right? Jesus has already done that by his death on the cross for you and for me. He answers our prayers. He meets our daily needs. When we cry out to him as we're working, the frustrations that we uh, experience, the persecutions or suffering, whatever it is, pains and physical ailments and so on, Christ has paid for that. He has removed that from us, and he is there to meet our daily needs. He says, come to him, and he will give us rest. He will give us all that we need. He empowers us to do our work. It's hit by his grace, his power, that we do it. And he gives us, if we are cognizant of all of this, he gives us peace and rest as we do it. We don't have to be struggling in our work. Work can be a joy. It, it ought to be a joy. It's something that we ought to feel good about. Not pride in something you've accomplished, but pride in knowing that you're in God's will. And that you're doing something for him and people are noticing him. People are paying attention. And it's all working for his glory through Jesus Christ. Because Christ, Jesus is, Christ is the one that's doing it. He's giving us the peace and our rest. And finally, he is our hope. He is the blessed hope. He is coming again. Regardless of what you're going through, he's coming back. I guarantee it. Paul guarantees it. Don't worry about what's happening right now, today, what you're going through. There is a thing that is coming that is, it is greater than we can possibly imagine. Hold on to that. It's because of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you and for me that we can hold on to that hope as an anchor for our souls. Don't give it up. Make it your ambition. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for this message. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to gather together and worship you and to, to make your name great, as I've said, that to lift you up and to show you how much we love you, how much we need you, how much we appreciate you. God, we can't possibly thank you enough.
for all that you've done for us, especially through your son, Jesus Christ, because he is the source of all of our hope, our eternal life, our new life. All that we are is through him. So thank you, Lord, for him. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. Thank you for, again, these words. In Jesus' name, amen.